this evening, I want to encourage you, if you would, to go to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, to a somewhat familiar portion of Scripture, and uh, I want to share with you a message tonight that I have titled, The Crossroad. You know, I think every time that our nation comes to a general election, we're told that we're a nation at a crossroad, and uh, we have to decide which direction we're going to go. And what I have discovered in life, we many times will stand at the place of decisions. We find ourselves at a crossroad, and we have decisions that must be made. And we as well one day stand at the point of a cross, literally, and a decision there must be made. And at the time that we are saved, I believe that God places us on a pathway that's a road leading to a cross. It's the cross road, and we have choices to make all along the way. And I think that we'll discover as we take a closer look at this passage of Scripture tonight that there were those that were confronted with choices. And uh, there were some things that God had ordained that He was not going to impose upon His people. And one thing that I often share with uh, the dear people of Freeway Baptist is that our God is a perfect gentleman. He never forces His will upon us. He always gives us a choice. This week I spoke with one of my children who was witnessing to a friend who made the declaration that they were an atheist. And upon further uh, questioning, uh, they were asked, why do you say that? And they said, well, we've come to the conclusion that that a God that has created mankind simply to glorify Him is a classic narcissist and therefore could never be good. And the reality is that what we understand about our God is that He is entirely good. And the fact is that He doesn't force anything upon us, you see. He gives us a free will. We are free to choose. Someone can choose not to follow Jesus. They do so to their peril. And they do so to their destruction. The fact remains that we have choices that must be made all along the way. And we begin tonight in Matthew 16 and we find a choice that is being postulated here. And in verse number 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye? that I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, 
Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, I pray that in these moments together, you would open the eyes of our spiritual understanding. Help us, Lord, to be drawn closer to the center of your will for our lives. And perhaps, Lord, some tonight would find themselves at a crossroad, as it were. And I pray, Lord, that they would choose the right by choosing thee. And this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. We discover as we begin this passage of Scripture a personal choice. You know, there are many people that have opinions on who they believe Jesus to be. Indeed, the answer to that question is the central theme of every age since the beginning of time. And I believe that really it is the central theme of our age and our preaching is what think ye of Christ or who do you say that Jesus is? I've discovered from a diligent study of the Word of God that it is possible for someone to perhaps be wrong on issues of doctrine, certain issues of doctrine, but this is one area of doctrine that you can never be wrong on. Because if you missed the mark on this question, you have missed out on heaven altogether. It's hell if you get it wrong. You can't ever get this one wrong, my friends, because Jesus told the rulers of the Jews in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, Except ye believe that I am He, meaning the Christ of God, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the One, the Anointed One of God, promised, now come. Unless you believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Quite simply, even as John put it throughout the Gospels, this is the central question of all the ages, whom say ye that I, the Son of Man, am? And so we discover here that Peter uh, and the disciples were given this question, and whom do men say that I am? And my, my friends, mankind has many ideas. There are those in the Muslim uh, belief system that say that he was a, a good prophet, a good man. And the fact is that there are some that gave that answer even in the time of Jesus Christ. There are others that believe he is the offspring of God, but not truly divine, only the, the offspring of divinity. There are those that believe that he was a a teacher, just a rabbi in Israel. Some think that he was an imposter. There are many different opinions, and uh, you know what they say about opinions. <laughs> opinions uh, are like belly buttons. Every, everybody's got one, you know. And, and the fact is that, look, uh, what's important is not everybody's opinion. But what is important is what is true. What does God say? And we come to this first crossroad, which is a 
personal choice where Jesus looked them clean through and said, But whom say ye that I am? Isn't it interesting today that we have politicians that have no moral compass and no real conscience and so when confronted with difficult decisions rather than making principle-based decisions they want to take a survey do an opinion poll what is everybody out there thinking about this what is everybody out there saying about this and how is this going to impact my future political pursuits and so they make their decisions and they live their life on the basis of public opinion polls and surveys the reality is that no one will ever reach heaven by simply going along with what the crowd thinks because uh, Jesus said that enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. When you find yourself going along with the crowd and just saying, well, this is what everybody at my school or my workplace or my community is saying about it, uh, then, folks, uh, you have made the determination that when you come to the crossroads, you, you take a left turn at the Broadway. But, you know, I think that we need to choose the straight and narrow way that is really, truly, metaphorically, a road less traveled. It's a personal choice that you have to make. You cannot just decide, I'm not going to make a decision, I'll wait till the end of my life, and then I'll see how things go. A choice not to decide is a choice in and of itself. And so we must personally deal with Jesus Christ. That's why a personal evangelism is so critically important in this age. Because what I've discovered is that uh, people that don't come to a crossroad in life and have a confrontation with the truth of whom say ye that Jesus is, rarely ever make the decision to follow Him, to give their life and their eternity to Him. It is a personal choice. No one can make it for you. Um, your parents, uh, perhaps were believers, but understand this, they can't make the decision for you to be saved. Uh, you may know friends or loved ones, have family members that have made a decision to trust Christ and are in a church, but you know what? They can't make the decision for you. You must make that decision for yourself. And of course, we know that Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my Father which is in heaven. You see, it was a miraculous confession of faith that Peter made. Uh, this is now a second 
uh, of a sort of confession of faith that Peter has made. And, and now he makes this declarative statement, Thou art the Christ. In other words, the, the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. And so he was declaring him to be divine. He was declaring him to be his Messiah and God. And Jesus told him that he was blessed because he had not discovered this through fleshly means. It wasn't that flesh and blood had taught him and brought him to that truth. It was God that led him miraculously to this truth. And let me say this to you, my friend, that when we come to the crossroad and we face a personal choice about who Jesus is, if we see him to be who Peter declared him to be, it is not man that brought you to that place, but God who led you there. It is always a miraculous, and I want you to understand something about our God. Often we like to quote Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, I'm living by faith, and it is not my own faith. It is the very faith that God bestows upon me, because I, apart from him, would not have the faith to simply live and to believe him. It's a gift from God. There's a verse that we quote often that most people never really grasp the significance of. It's Ephesians 2.8. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, what is the gift of God? Certainly salvation is a gift of God. It's declared to be that over and over again throughout the scriptures, especially so in the book of Romans, it's, it's revealed to be a gift of God. But in this case, as we study uh, the, the, the sentence structure there, we see that the gift spoken of is faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that is the gift of God. What does He do? He gives faith to faithless men to see the truth and to believe the truth. It comes from the Word of God. See, the Bible says in Romans ten seventeen, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, it's a miraculously revealed Word of God. And the Holy Spirit of God illumines our minds to the truth so that we could then believe. And it is the working of God miraculously that brings us to the place where we choose to confess that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
My friend, if you open your heart to God and you see the revealed truth in His Word, God by His Spirit will give you the faith to simply take Him at His Word and believe. It is the faith whereby we are saved and by which we live and understand that God has miraculously given it to you because He has left nothing up to mankind in the matter of salvation. If He did, there might be some who say, I do not have a measure of faith. Others might say, I have quantum measures of faith, and that leaves some at a deficit with regard to salvation, but God wanted everyone to have access to heaven. And so, there could be no one that would claim, I lacked the faith to simply believe Him. God provides it to us as a gift. And He does so miraculously. Here, He opened the eyes of Peter and allowed him to miraculously see and declare who Jesus indeed was. And what a wonder that it was. And what a blessing was bestowed upon Simon, the son of Jonas. And what we find that followed that miraculous confession was a spiritual change. For what Jesus told him was this, in verse 17, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. In other words, Bar-Jonah means the son of Jonas. And so we notice that the Lord is here identifying Peter with his human parentage. He's identifying him as mortal man. He has a fleshly parentage. So he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, the son of Jonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so, to this point, we're dealing with a disciple named Simon, Simon Peter, and yet he was Simon, the son of Jonas. And so, the Lord is making a distinction. Here he's saying, Simon, you have an earthly parentage. I have a heavenly parentage. My father, he said, Jonas is your father. My father is God in heaven. And he's the one that has revealed it unto you. So, you have a father named Jonas. My father is God, the father which is in heaven. And now, that you have made this declaration Something will now change. Now, you will identify yourself not as Simon Barjona, but as Peter, the child of God. There was a change that was taking place spiritually. He said, Now I say unto thee, that thou art Peter. You're no longer Simon, 
now Peter. Peter meaning a little stone or a pebble. And the Lord in a play on words said, I, I say unto you that you're now Peter, a little stone. And upon this rock, meaning Jesus, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There was a change that would take place here, a spiritual change. And we know from a study of the scriptures that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let me say this to you, that when we are placed in Jesus Christ, at that moment in time, everything changes. Our destiny changes, you see. Um, our reason for living changes. We have a new purpose. We have a new destiny. Uh, listen, our spirit is quickened. It's made alive. That's a profound change. God wants to change everything about you. He does not want to simply clean up the old man. He wants to make a new man. Do a complete metamorphosis, forming you into the very image of Jesus Christ. And at that moment in time, the Lord indicated there's going to be a change. From henceforth, there's going to be a change. And I believe that as Christians, we need to look back over our Christian experience and discover those moments that were what I term henceforth moments where that God affected a change and we knew from that moment forward we would never be the same again. And by the way, there should be more than just one of those. You should be able to identify many times where God met with you and there was a crossroad where that you had to make a choice and at that moment you knew henceforth from this moment forward my life will never be the same again. That's what the Lord was communicating to Peter. From this moment forward you're not going to be identified as a child of this world but as a child of the Heavenly Father. Simon Barjona, my Father in heaven, revealed something to you. And now you're going to be called Peter, a stone. And what I want you to know is a message that is incredible. And that is about a triumphant church. You see, they had a personal choice that resulted in a miraculous confession that would produce a spiritual change. And what would catalyze the spreading of that message was a triumphant church. And that's exactly what Jesus began to explain when he said, upon this rock, meaning Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Most of you are aware that uh, I have just recently had a bout with COVID-19. And it, it's not easy for someone who 
has a calling upon their life to sit by and not be in the mix uh, spiritually, not not uh, down and serving and and down at the church and with folks. And and I, I found myself just kind of going uh, a little stir crazy and wanting to be down at church and and involved. And and I'm thinking about well, you know, Miss Jenny's out, Brother Daniel's out, so many folks are out, Miss Renee's out, and and. Uh, you know, there are other members of the family. Uh, Becky got COVID and Tim got COVID. And, and uh, you know, it, it is easy to just kind of rationalize it, that, uh, you know, uh, everything's falling apart because everybody's getting sick and nobody's down there serving. And, you know, it would almost lead one to think that we think that somehow the, the, the rising and falling of the church of the living God rests upon us, right? And someone reminded me in the midst of this that God promised He would build His church. And I said, you know, I'm glad you reminded me of that. But one thing I know is this, and that while God said He would do the building, He wanted to be one of the laborers in His building project. And so I want to make myself available to whatever God appoints, knowing that a wise master builder has promised that he would do this work, and that it would be such a work that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church who is on the move. You see, there are many who have erroneously thought that Peter would become the foundation of the church. I know many Catholics, as you do, that have been led down the primrose path, so to speak, in believing that somehow Peter is uh, the, the rock upon which the church was built. And they, they reasoned that he was the first pope. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. There's no historical evidence to support that Peter even ever went to Rome. And uh, yet the fact is that, and they just don't know what to do with the fact that Peter was married and had a mother-in-law and might have had children and uh, that 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 kind of gets lost in in the whole convoluted teaching but the reality is this that Peter revealed in his epistles that the rock was Jesus Christ he was the stone that became that that the builders rejected that man rejected but uh, that it became a stone of offense unto them. And it has now become the head of the corner, the cornerstone, if you would, Jesus Christ. And Peter revealed that in the writings, uh, in his epistles, and, and bore witness to that. And so the church is the church triumphant that God has promised that he would build and that the gates of hell would never prevail against it. I, I, I'm grateful for that promise that God gave. But I want us to notice, along with a triumphant church comes a divine charge. For the Bible says in verse number 19, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. We find a divine charge. The Lord is deputizing and authorizing this church to do the work that he calls here binding and loosing. And he gave the first privilege and blessing of the use of the keys of the kingdom to none other than Peter himself, who first preached Christ and him crucified, buried and risen again on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came in great power and wonder, and 3,000 gave themselves to Jesus and testified of that true conversion to Jesus Christ by being immersed in water. And the reality was this, that God gave authority to the church to do His work. That is why He used uh, the metaphor, if you would, of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Was it that the Lord was handing a set of keys to Peter uh, so that he could uh, make sure that when uh, he died on judgment day, he had a key to get in? No, that, that's not, not at all what it was. Metaphorically, he was giving him the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he was saying, listen, I'm giving you the authority to do the work of heaven. And whatever is bound on earth in the name of Jesus through this church that I am building will be bound in heaven. And whatever is loose, set free from the bondage of sin here on this earth through the work of that church that I have deputized and authorized, they will be loosed in heaven. You see, heaven will see and sanction the work of that church. And it is the church of the living God that has been duly charged and, and deputized, authorized to carry out this great and wonderful work. Um, I recall years ago, I was pastoring in California, and uh, there was a precious man in our church. Uh, his name was Mech Langston. And Brother Mech was a, a bus driver, and he was a deacon. He was a godly man. I loved him. And uh, one day he, he came to me and, and said, I, I, I want to I sit down with you in the office. I have a, a little spiritual dilemma I want to talk to you about. And uh, he had been studying the Word of God, and he had personally been studying Matthew chapter 16, and how that God had given authority to the church to do His work. And the commission that He gave to the church is revealed in the Gospels. It's what we know as the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature, and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then to teach him to observe all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded. And he'd been studying that, and, and Brother Langston came into my office, and he said, you know, Pastor, he said, I was um, saved through the ministry of an army chaplain when I was in the military serving in Korea during the Korean War. He had kind of one of those foxhole conversions. You know, they say there are no atheists in a foxhole. And, uh, and perhaps that's true. And, and through the, the witness of, a, of an army chaplain, he came to trust Jesus as his personal Savior. 
And he said, after I was saved through the ministry of that, of that chaplain, um, we went to the base chapel, and I was baptized there in the base chapel. And he said, since I've heard the preaching on the church and I started studying it out, it's been bothering me, Pastor, that I was not scripturally baptized. I say, I said to Brother Langston, tell me about it. He said, well, that wasn't a church. That was a gathering, of course, with someone who was preaching the gospel. But that was the U.S. Army outpost. And God didn't give the U.S. Army the authority to do His work. He gave that authority to the church. I was not baptized under the authority of a church, a local church. I was baptized by a commissioned officer, a chaplain in the U.S. Army. And he said, I just can't get past this. And I, and, and, and I want to do what's right. And I said, well, well, Brother Langston, what do you think is the right thing to do based on your study of the Word of God? He says, I need to be scripturally baptized under the authority of a church. And I said, you know, I think your testimony will be a tremendous encouragement to many others who perhaps were never scripturally baptized to take their stand for Jesus Christ under the authority of that organism that he brought into be and he promised to build and he authorized, empowered, yea, to do that work by the Holy Spirit of God, giving unto them the very keys of the kingdom. He didn't give it to uh, your uncle who got saved at a, a Jesus rally in the 60s who baptized you in the swimming pool. He didn't give that authority to uh, some guy that uh, just shared the gospel with you to baptize you down at the beach or in your swimming pool. He gave that authority to his body, the church, and that is a triumphant church with a divine charge. And it's interesting that at this point, he charged the disciples that they should tell no man that he was the Christ. You say, why was that? Because his hour had not yet come. And he knew that had his disciples gone everywhere telling folks that he was the Messiah, that they would have tried to bring in the kingdom at that hour. And that was not the reason for his coming. You see... Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and from that moment forward, his feet were placed upon the crossroad, because the path that he would travel would lead him to a cross and not a throne. Ultimately, God would seat him on the throne, that highly exalted position, but until then... He would walk the crossroad. The Bible tells us from that time forth in verse 21, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. What we find here is a, a 
difficult communication. The Lord had to tell them something that was hard to hear. From that time, it marked a change for Peter. He was now to identify himself the Heavenly Father, not an earthly parentage. His life was to never be the same again. He would be identified with the church and would be given the blessing of utilizing the keys of the kingdom to preach with power and authority on Pentecost and for a great season of time thereafter to bring others to Christ in that great work of binding and loosing. But now the Lord is telling them, I have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer many things and be killed and I'll be raised again the third day. It was a difficult word. And from this point forward, the Lord began to prepare them for what was to come, but they weren't really listening. Really, in the Word of God, the only one that we know of that listened was Mary of Bethany. For she anointed the body of Jesus against the day of His burial. She got it. She understood Everybody else was thinking, this is the Messiah. He's going to bring in the kingdom. And now we get to have prominent roles in the kingdom of our Messiah, the kingdom of God that we have long waited for. And more than anything from that point forward, the disciples began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And so some news that Jesus would be killed was something that they didn't want to entertain in their minds because now they were sure that this was the Messiah and this news of him being killed, they, it didn't, didn't really go along with their thinking about his kingdom coming. But the Lord at this point never mentions his death without mentioning his resurrection. He always, always gives us hope. He never leaves us in despair. And He gave them the hope of the resurrection and said that He would raise again the third day. And they didn't get it until after He rose again the third day. And then all of a sudden, all the things that Jesus said, like tear down this temple in three days, I will rebuild it, all of a sudden, it came home to their hearts. Well, I'm not giving you any sign except the sign of Jonas. It began to resonate with them. They began to understand that what Jesus said was that He was going to die and that He would rise again the third day. What we discover is this, that Peter took Him in verse 22, began to rebuke Him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. So we notice a hard communication. He was, they were met with something that was difficult that they didn't want to receive. And Satan began to convolute things and confuse their minds. And he began to use even Jesus' disciples to try to subvert the eternal plan of God for the ages. Say, so how do you know? Because when Peter took the Lord and began to rebuke God, that he just said, you're God. 
And then God said, this is going to happen. And Peter's like, no, 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 Lord, come over here a minute. This isn't happening. And don't say that anymore. It's not happening. He began to rebuke the Lord God. Then he just confessed. Can you imagine that? The, uh, the, the hubris of Peter to proclaim him God and then rebuke him in the next conversation. And what we discover is that satanic confusion is still at work today, but we see in verse 23, the Lord turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, not Peter, not Simon, but Satan. Satan. For thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You see, Peter was thinking about a kingdom. Peter was thinking about a position in a kingdom. Peter was thinking about a victory over Rome. And Peter was thinking about the glory and the wonder and the majesty of all of that. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to die and rise again the third day. And the Lord recognized the source of the rebuke that Peter gave to him. And it was from the pit of hell trying to somehow subvert God's eternal plan for the redemption of all mankind. Let me say that Satan is always trying to keep us as he tried to keep Jesus from the cross. Make no mistake about this comment. I can, in another time, prove it to you from Scripture, but I believe that the devil tried to kill Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to keep him from the cross. Peter, at this time, was trying to keep Jesus from a cross. He wanted to rescue Jesus from peril. And the fact is that whenever we subvert and obstruct those whose feet are on the cross road, we do not the work of God, but the work of Satan. Now I realize that the hours passed us. But I want to say a word, if I may, to grandparents and to parents. There's something that God has put in us that just loves our kids and our grandkids. And for all the world, we want to keep them from going through hardship, privation, and suffering. And so kids make bad decisions, they get into difficulty... And you know what we want to do? We want to come to the rescue. That's what's in us. That's what parents want to do. That's what grandparents inevitably want to do. We want to come to their rescue. We want to, want to try to minimize the level of suffering that they might have to endure. But let me just say this to you. What is the cross a picture of? Suffering and death. The cross was an instrument of death. And what came along with that was the suffering and pain. And let me say to you that I have never had a breakthrough in my Christian experience without a confrontation that was painful. Without a choice that I had to make 
to come what may deal with what God was doing in my life. And most of what God did in my life was through humbling my heart that was hardened through pride, suffering loss and difficulty to bring me to the place where I would gladly and willingly take up the cross. And there were kind-hearted people that wanted to rescue me from a God-ordained appointment with a cross. And to those I say, get thee behind me, Satan. For even as Jesus said, thou savorest not the things that be of God. You know, I'm not saying that we never help. We, we, we're not His heart and His hands extended. But I think we need to be discerning enough to understand that there may be times in our children's lives or in our grandchildren's lives where God is dealing with them and bringing them to the end of themselves so that they will cling to Him. And if we are constantly trying to blunt the blows and soften the landings and mitigate consequences so that they never come all the way to the end of themselves, we're obstructing God's plan for them to take up the cross of Christ. Why do they need Jesus? They have you to rescue them. That's how many of them though they would not say it, reason it in their hearts and minds. So God forbid that any of us, though well-intentioned and loving in our motivation, might somehow be used as pawns in the devil's scheme to subvert the feet of our own loved ones from an appointment with a cross that they might cleave to if we let them get there. And I can say as a parent and as a grandparent, that's one of the hardest things that we ever have to do. Is to turn loose and let God be God in their life, come what may. Peter was not willing to do that. He, he wanted to jump in and be the rescuer to keep Jesus from that cross. We often want to jump in and keep our loved ones from having to go through difficulty. And we, we keep them from a confrontation with God at a cross where that they have to exchange the life that they have chosen for the life that God is calling them to and the life that He calls them to is found here in verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, the meaning of life is found in the cross. 
cross of Calvary. It's where we have new life in Jesus Christ. And let me say that it's the place where we have to choose to deny our self-life, choose to live the cross life, the life of Jesus. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. All along the way, we have choices to make. I believe that God has ordained for you and for me two appointments. Both involve a cross. The first the appointment where that we come to the foot of the cross and throw ourselves at the mercies of God and we trust Him for our eternal life and salvation. And the second is that time in which we are willing at a cross to deny our selfish life and plans and to take up the life of Christ that He calls us to and gladly and willingly find our purpose in living in Christ. For Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. There it is my purpose. And so God has set our feet upon a path. Involves a cross. And when you come to the moment of decision, Choose the cross. Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that you would allow the truth of this message to settle in hearts. Lord, I pray that we might choose to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow you. This we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, thank you for joining us tonight here at Freeway Baptist Church. It's my prayer that each of us would discover the real meaning of living in the person of Christ as we come to a cross. Perhaps you're watching, listening tonight, and you know that God has been drawing you down a road, and somehow, somewhere, you've never yet Come to the place where you fully know and understand that your sins can be forgiven entirely. That heaven can be guaranteed you. The truth is that if you're not certain that your sins are entirely forgiven and that heaven is yours for a certainty, then God has something He wants you to know and that is that He loves you so much that he died to pay the price for your sin. And He wants to offer you a home in heaven. He wants to spend forever with you in heaven. There's something standing in the way of that. And that is our sinfulness. My friends, if you're honest, you have to confess that you're a sinner. That's all of us. We were born into sin. We can't even change that. 
We're, we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. You think on that for a moment. The Bible says that there's a consequence for sin. The wages of sin is death. What we have as a consequence for our sin is death. And death is separation. There's a physical death that separates the spirit and the soul from the body. And there is a second death spoken of in the Bible that is a spiritual death. It is separation from God in heaven. And that separation sends that individual to a place of suffering for sin called hell. Some people say, how could a loving God ever send anyone to hell? And the truth is that a loving God sends no one to hell. They choose to reject His offer of salvation from hell that He purchased with His own blood. And if someone goes to hell, it's not because God sent them there. They crawl over an old rugged cross in order to get there. The fact is Jesus did everything to keep you from going because He loves you. The Bible says, but God commended His love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we were deserving of suffering in hell, Jesus took the penalty for our sin in His own body on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could have the slate wiped clean. Forgiveness could be ours entirely because of the work that Jesus did there. And He did it completely because when He died, He said, it is finished. He finished the work necessary to obtain your forgiveness and eternal salvation. Now, He says, the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we can have that gift of eternal life in heaven through the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus did everything necessary to satisfy the law and the demand of a holy God against sinners. He took that sin in Himself, took the judgment, the punishment for our sin, so that He could offer you liberty, freedom, salvation, if you would simply believe Him and receive Him. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we believe that Jesus died and was buried and that He rose again to offer us this new life in Christ purchased with blood through the forgiveness of sins on Calvary, and we ask Him for His gift of eternal life. We have the promise of a God that cannot lie. That we shall be saved. My friend, if you've never made the decision, tonight you're standing at a crossroad. It wasn't enough for Peter to say what everybody thought of Jesus. He said, whom do ye say that I am? You must personally make the decision to call upon Jesus to be your Savior for the forgiveness of your sin. Now I want to just say calling upon Him is simply praying from the heart, believing. And there's no magic words because God is looking at the heart. And so, in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. We sometimes call it the sinner's prayer. These aren't the magic words, but if this prayer reflects the desires of your heart, would you make it your own prayer to God, believing Him? And He will hear, and He will answer, and He will save you. As I pray this prayer right now, if you have never prayed it believing, I invite you to pray it with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I confess that I am a sinner. I realize that I could never save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with God. I believe that Jesus died for me, that He was buried, and that He rose again to give me this life. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to be my Savior. Thank you, O God, for dying for me. Enable me to live for Thee. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, if you just prayed that prayer with your understanding, believing it, then on the basis and authority of the Word of God, you're saved. Your sins are entirely forgiven and heaven is your home. And we rejoice together with you. Now, Jesus paid the price for every sin you would ever commit, past, present, and future. So if tomorrow you should fail in your efforts to live a clean life, Jesus has paid the price for those sins as well. For when Jesus hung on the cross, we were not even born yet. He saw every sin that you would ever commit in advance, and He took care of those too. And so when we are saved, we are given everlasting life. It will never end. It's the very life of God. That's why it's called eternal life. No beginning, no end. And my friend, if you made that decision, we want you to call our offices, let us know. Send us an email or a a message on Facebook and let us know about your decision. We want to send you some information. We want to give you a Bible so that you can begin to grow in this new life that you have in Jesus Christ. Thank you.